0: God of grace, mercy, and power, God of justice, God of this city, who has given us the gift of every inch of it, of every person in it, be with us today. Be with us in our words, in our actions, in our minds, hearts, and souls. And if we should have words or deeds that do not accord with you, that aren't of you, help us to try again tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This month has been our commitment to the city sermon series, which is really about this city that we live in, Chicago, and what it means to faithfully commit to it. There are a lot of reasons um, to think about our role as Christians in the city. One is that While though we came from Eden, we are marching to Zion, right? There is a vision in the scriptures of a heavenly city of which we can all be a part, that there's something about what God wants for us that is bringing us together. Another is simply that more and more human beings and more and more Christians are going to be living in cities, and figuring out what that means for our faith is important, 2014 was the first year, according to the UN, that more people in the world lived in cities than didn't. We're rapidly urbanizing. Uh, I have a family member who lives in Shenzhen, China, which 30 years ago was a fishing village of a few hundred people and now has over 20 million people. (laughs) Those kinds of megacities are where most people in Africa and Asia live, right? Like this is the new nature, the new fabric of our lives. What is that gonna mean for us and how we treat each other in our faith? Also, urban is in our name, right? There's a reason to consider why as a church are we committed to this environment? None of this means that cities are the only place that we care about or the only place where God can be found. This is a church community that is very diverse. Some of us grew up in little old towns of 50 to 75 people where you know everybody on the sidewalk, and some of us grew up in the suburbs with the lawns and the bike rides and all of the things that come with it. Um, I am one who. It's not just that my faith now is of the city. It's not just that that's a question for me in this day. I was really born and formed by cities. Um, I was born in Washington, DC, lived in Tokyo and Hong Kong as a kid, Um, always lived right in the middle of of urban areas, and really didn't understand a lot about what it meant to not live in a city. Um, They felt like really foreign environments to me. And there's been one story that's just been coming back to me over and over again these last few weeks, which is uh, my dad grew up in Batavia, Illinois, which some of you may be familiar with. Um, When he grew up, it was sort of a small town. Now it's really become a part of uh, the St. Charles Aurora kind of suburban landscape of of Western Chicago. Um, And I go to visit there all the time because I have family there. And as a child, I used to visit there too. We'd fly into O'Hare and we'd drive out to Batavia. And when I was about five or six, uh, I was driving out with my family and we came close to the border and I said, oh, we're in Batavia. And I'm not known for my sense of direction or sense of place or objects. That's not a gift of mine. And so my dad was like, what? How do you, like, how do you know that, small child? How do you know that we're in Batavia? And I said, well, you always know when you're in Batavia because in Batavia, everyone gets their own apartment building." I saw the single family houses, right? And I was like, it's this miraculous place where everyone has an apartment building of their own. Um, To me, as a city kid who had always grown up in apartments, that seemed like the most remarkable thing in the world. The first time we moved back to a small town, um, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, when I was in middle school, they showed me a picture of the house we were going to live in, and I told everyone in my class that the backyard was a football field. (laughs) because I'd never seen that much green space be just associated with like one family's house, you know? It it all seemed um, very foreign to me. This, I think, is one of the great parts of living in a city that we don't take time to reflect on, but that is really critical to our lived experience, which is how much of our physical space we share with each other right that most of us do live in buildings with other people whether or not we know them um, that's that's a unique way to live life it's a unique part of living in the city that most of us if we're going to go outside and uh, bask in the sun and play in the trees it's going to be in some kind of outdoor space that we share with others that's not just for us whether it's a park or a median or any of the other things that you can come across here right the lakeshore. A part of living in a city because it's so dense is being surrounded by other humans and being in really intimate relationship with them in terms of the things that we share. uh, The services, the sounds, and all of that stuff. And I think we spend a lot of time in our cities uh, maybe trying to ignore that part of it, right? To like not hear every aspect of your upstairs neighbor's life. Um, but, But it's a really, really important way to live and it really has spiritual gifts and spiritual potential if we pay attention to them. There are huge things to be found out about who God is and who Christ is in the world if we take this opportunity to live with two million other people, which most humans haven't ever had, as a way to see two million faces of God that we're surrounded by, right? To see other reflections of who Christ is and the people around us. But that same intimacy, that same density, that same shared space has as many spiritual risks as it has spiritual gifts. A big thing about our cities is not just that we live closely together and that we share space, but on the other side of the coin, seemingly opposite, um, that our cities are so profoundly and deeply segregated uh, by race, by class by culture and just by nature of the neighborhood physically, the way that train lines and rivers end up cutting our neighborhoods so that some of us have access to more resources than others, more buses than others, more trains than others. Um, It's very, very easy in the city to both be surrounded by people and not know any of them (laughs) and to be surrounded by neighbors whose experiences we know nothing about. There are spiritual gifts to this urban living and there are real spiritual risks in terms of the way we start to reduce all of those people we see to some passing notion about who they are or where they're from. And those are risks that James knew really, really well. James who wrote this scripture that we read today and I'd love to bring it back up, James too. Um, This is a beautiful book of the New Testament, a short, sweet letter um, that is all about having integrity, Living life in such a way uh, that it accords with the things that we believe about Jesus, but it's gotten a bad rap over the years. Uh, It's gotten a bad rap in part, I think, because it is so clear that you can't really love Jesus unless you care about poor people that it makes people uncomfortable. (laughs) And so they've tried to put it aside and not read it and say, oh, James, that's, you know, that's like a minor letter. Uh, Martin Luther who you know reformed the church, and that's nice, but also tended to think that poor people were to blame for their own problems, called it the epistle of straw, the letter of straw, because he was so mad that it talked about what we actually do, instead of talking mostly about just faith in Jesus, and then that being what we follow, right? Um, but for James, the two can never, ever, ever be separated. It's not that he thinks that faith and what we believe aren't important, It's that he thinks what we believe isn't really what we believe unless we're also doing it. That it's not actually possible (laughs) that you follow Jesus or believe that Jesus saves unless you also act like Jesus wants to save other people in your community right now from the things that are ailing them. That it's just not possible that we really believe the things that we say we believe unless what our bodies do in the world reflects those beliefs. We can say as much as we want, that we think that all people are equal, that God created all of them, that there is no separation between Greek and Jew, slave or free, as it says in Romans. But as James says here, if you know that in your church, someone who walked in and smelled a little bit different would be treated differently than someone wearing the finest perfume. If you know that in your community, someone who walked in with torn clothes would be treated differently, maybe even by you, than someone wearing nice ones, then you don't actually believe that. That is not how you live your life, unless people truly receive loving and equal treatment from you. And he goes beyond that to what a modern activist might call equity, right? Which is that it's not just about being nice to everyone, he says, there is real oppression in our court system. <laughs> there is real real mistreatment of poor people. Unless we care about that, how could we possibly call ourselves Christians? And there's something that I wonder about as I read the James, which is, uh, there's a reason that people might have been surprised by his example, right? Might not have noticed what he points out, that maybe your community really does treat people differently. Um, because people were probably going to either worshiping communities that were full of one kind of person or worshiping communities that were full of another kind of person. And so they never noticed the disparity in treatment, right? Segregation of a different kind in a different place allowed them to not see disparity of treatment because they didn't have to see, right, like two different kinds of communities at once. And it's the same thing we're doing now where we supposedly share all this space But if we don't feel equally a neighbor to Auburn Gresham and a neighbor to Albany Park, we haven't taken into account what it means to be a good neighbor, a Jesus Christ neighbor in the city of Chicago. I wanna tell a few little stories about our church, our life, some reflections I've had on this idea of the space that we share in cities and where Jesus might be calling us in those spaces. Um, And one of them has to do with our outdoor worship that we had a couple of weeks. I know several of you were at that outdoor worship in Dean Playground. It was a beautiful worship, the music was beautiful. Um, We just had a really great time together, ate food together, and so I really sort of hesitate to tell you this story because I don't wanna retroactively ruin it for you, but it's an important story I think about our neighborhood and our church. So keep the good memories, but also, know that this thing also happened. Um, Something that many of you know happened during that worship is that a woman in the park got very upset with us um, and kept saying that we were in her park and we were in her park and we shouldn't be there and she called the police and the police said, oh, they're actually, like, it's fine that they're here. (laughs) They, you know, they did all the things. Um, But that, I think, is natural and understandable, right? It's um, particularly given what the church has done in the world I get that sometimes people are freaked out by our presence. uh, And I want to show them a different kind of presence. But I did think it was interesting that she kept yelling, this is my park, my park. Because really the whole point of a park is that it doesn't belong to anyone. That it's for all of us, right? that it's for the public, that it's for everyone. And so that was on my mind um, when something else happened that day which is, as we had gotten there early in the morning, I don't know who was there, um, we set up in the very back of this long park that has sort of a playground over here and there's a lot of green space and we set up at the back of that green space. So the people in the playground don't necessarily have to hear our sermon if they're they're not into it, right? Um, And in the very back corner, we found behind a couple of trees as we were setting up where we usually did a tent and so it seemed like someone must have slept there the night before or be living there. Um, and so Sabrina, our stage manager, came up to me and said, you know, I found this, this tent. Um, I don't want to bother them, but I also don't want to scare them when we start playing music. Um, we're setting up a, f- a few feet farther away from them than we usually would. Uh, do you think it's okay for a couple of us to go up? And I was like, yeah, let's go up and sort of knock. Like, yeah, just let them know that we're going to be making loud noises so that we don't frighten them. Um, and that happened, and it turned out the tent was empty. Whoever was using it or had been using it went somewhere else. Um, maybe they had gone to go food, maybe they had gone to go to the bathroom, I don't know. Um, but they weren't there during the worship service. And then at the end of the worship service as we were taking everything down, I know, the tent looked really funny to me. I was several feet away from it, but it was sort of collapsed. It looked like a, a hurricane had come through or something, but I, I assumed natural disaster of some kind. And I was like, oh, that's unfortunate. Um, and I was talking about it and then someone in our church said to me, oh no, I, I saw what happened to that. Um, and they told me that someone had come by during the worship service, some self-appointed you know, keeper of the park, carer of the park, and they had come by with clippers to trim the hedges along the fence, because there was fencing at the back part of the park. And so they were clipping the hedges and they were going around the back fence And when they came to the tent, they cut it to shreds. Just cut it into ribbons. I'm assuming because they thought that that person shouldn't be sleeping in the park, was breaking a rule or shouldn't be there. Um, And I felt uh, physically ill when I heard that story because as complicated as it is to say, How do we share space with people who are living in homelessness, who may be having many challenges? And I get that there are real concerns about that that we need to talk about as a community. Um, I can't imagine caring so much about any rule or caring so much about the purity of my park that I could destroy someone's house in a moment with a pair of scissors, right? Like where someone sleeps and lives almost surely. And so I was living with that um, for the next couple of days, trying to figure out how I felt about it. because um, it just made me sick and it made me angry. And I didn't. It made me feel like we need some other way of talking about being neighbors to each other in the city, which isn't about protection, right? Oh, because I'm sure that that person thought that they were protecting their space. If we asked them what they were doing, they would say, "I am protecting this park. I am protecting my community." Um, Where we open up from an ethic of protection (laughs) to an ethic of love, right? Where we take into account the consequences that what we think of as safety or rule following might have on real people and real neighbors in their lives. Um, And so I was thinking about all of that and and really uh, being really, really angry at that person. (laughs) Like holding a lot of negative, angry, and aggressive thoughts towards the person who had done that. Um, really sort of being disgusted with like, this is what happens when neighborhoods think that nobody else is allowed in their neighborhood, and this is what NIMBYs are, and like this is so far away from God, and I was like filled with rage. Um, and And then something happened that made me see the ways in which while it is maybe gentler and more moderate, that lives inside of me too. Which is that on the 606, you all know the 606, right? Park on the on the train tracks here in Wicker Park um, that is beautiful, built recently, um, uh, you know, directly inspired by a park in New York City, but we're making it into a Chicago thing. Um, uh, we have given concerts there on the 606 as a church. We've like showed up there um, to give out Halloween candy. We because it's where the people in our neighborhood are, right? Or so we think, or so we say. Um, and we've we've participated there and done things there. And then last week, uh, as well as a few weeks before that, there have been several throughout the summer, there was a huge anti-gentrification protest on the 606. And I wanna show you a picture of that. So this is just one of the pictures from that. Um, and these are young people from um, the Logan Square Neighborhood Association and Humboldt Park United Methodist Church, which I actually am good friends with leaders of the Humboldt Park United Methodist Church, and um, they came to the 606 to say, we have lived here for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and so far every building that has been built next to the 606, we cannot afford to live in it. Our, our families and our friends are being pushed out of this place and it's happening even faster than it happened last time in the last neighborhood that we and our family and friends were kicked out of. And they have come up with, um, in, in, a, in connection with Lucha and a couple of other city organizations, they have written a piece of public policy that they'd like the city to adopt which says that any tall building that goes up along the 606, multi-unit building, um, has to either put aside a percentage of housing specifically to be affordable housing that people who um, lived here 20 years ago can afford, or if they're unwilling to do that, if they're a building that believes as those who James was provoking believed that rich and poor people could not possibly share space, could not possibly share community, and they don't wanna have affordable housing in their building, they have to pay a $300,000 fee to a central bucket in the city that will pay for affordable housing to be built, not just somewhere in the city, anywhere in the city, but specifically in the places where affordable housing is being lost. So that's their, their solution to this that they're advocating for and protesting for. And I realized that as many things, as I do care about in the city, as many ways in which I thought I was paying attention to my neighbors and sort of felt like I had read a few articles about gentrification, um, particularly in Logan Square and Wicker Park where it comes to where I live and where I work, I had been so focused on my own difficulty trying to find a place that I could afford to have my family and kids live in. <laughs> I had been so focused on my own difficulty trying to figure out where I was gonna live, that my kids could go to school and have somebody that they know, and how's that all gonna work, um, that I had not been paying attention at all to the ways in which my neighbors were being displaced except at the most abstract and most intellectual level. right? I had not been involved in these protests, I hadn't been there for these kids, I hadn't been there listening to their stories um, about the ways in which making a space my space was making it less their space as much as I felt like I needed it. And so I might not cut a tent into shreds but that part of us that so instinctively wants to preserve a life for ourselves, to make something, right? Because like life is really hard and I get it. The part of us that wants so badly to make the life for ourselves that we want and in the process is willing to overlook the destroying of somebody else's home, that lives inside of me too. <laughs> that willingness to overlook some of my neighbors so that I can live, a, live just live and get along is lives inside of me too that need to remember just how numerous my neighbors are and just how numerous their experiences are and all of the work and the prayer that it will take to put myself in relationship to them that's my work too And it's the work of all of us, and it's the work of the church, and it's the work of any faithful Christian um, who lives in a place and says to be a follower of Jesus means I am not just a neighbor to the people I already know. I am not just a neighbor to the people in my building. I am a neighbor to everyone who's a part of my community. And unless I am loving them and loving their needs and loving their goals and loving their desires in the same way that I love my own, I am not doing the life of Jesus that I told Jesus I would do. And so we have to figure it out, right? As people and as a community, how we're going to do that hard call. But I think if we do it, our city could be so much richer and healthier. If we began to think of ourselves as part, not just of little sub-communities and neighborhoods, both of which are great, right? Like let's maintain our deals. Um, but also of a whole metro area where each one of the community areas, each one of the suburbs is equally accountable for the health of everybody else in the whole place, where we all have a responsibility to make sure that anyone anywhere can live a life of safety, can live a life of wholeness, can live a life of flourishing where they have stability of housing, greatness of education accessible to them, and parks that they can go to and feel like those parks don't belong to somebody else? Imagine what this city could be. That sounds to me like a city that is much closer to the kingdom than the one that we currently inhabit. For each of us, this is gonna mean different things, figuring out what it means to be a neighbor to everyone. Um, it might mean different relational practices. We're gonna be doing a prayer walk in Wicker Park towards the end of the month, and that I would encourage you to do a prayer walk in your community, because sometimes things will just uh, pop out to you about what your neighborhood is that you might not have noticed before. Different ways that you can get involved, get engaged, different ways that you can form relationships with people who are different from you, different ways that you can form relationships with other neighborhoods. One of them is through CRS, right? Which puts us in accountable relationship across neighborhoods, across the city. But whatever it is for you, remember what James has said, that if we go by the divisions of the world and continue to simply accept them unthinkingly, we have forgotten who Jesus is and what Jesus has invited us to do. If we limit our definition of who our neighbors really are or the number of neighbors that we really need to pay attention to, we have forgotten who Jesus is. And if we instead remember who Jesus is, and hard as it is, imperfectly as we're always gonna do it because there's always gonna be another complex layer and another way that we mess it up. If we seek to be a neighbor to all, to love all of our neighbors and to know their experiences as our own the other side of it might not just be faithfulness and integrity for us, but a faithfulness, wholeness, healthiness, and integrity for our city that can lead us to places we have never been before. And so I pray for us that we will seek that together, whatever it may look like. Amen.